podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Today's guest on the show is Greg Falk from Omen Foils. Greg's on the forum a lot, and he and I started chatting a few months ago, and I invited him to come on the show, and he said, well, why don't you test the foils before I come on? So sent out the operator 850 and 1050, spent a couple months testing, playing around with a bunch of different tail configurations, wing, prone, downwind, and now he's finally come on, and it's a great conversation. You know, Greg's background is military. He was in the Canadian Special Forces on the technical side, and so that background, <clears throat> a very technical uh, engineering type background coming into a foil company on the engineering side after working with Alula for a while in kiting, adds a different element to what you normally see in a foil company. He and James, two of the three partners in Omen, are both military backgrounds, James is in logistics, and it brings a different tone. We dive into foils a lot in this, but it's also a deeper, more broad conversation given his background and his history. We Some cool stories about outfitting gear for special force teams, and I think you guys are going to dig it. We've got a, a couple good ones. The upcoming show schedule is pretty awesome. Uh, Army Armstrong just recorded, Stacy Peralta, just recorded Stacy and I have been talking about doing a show for a long time and actually it was Instagram that gave a little bit of pressure to finally get us to set a date. We uh, we kept pushing it off because we kept having conversations and being like, well, I think it'll be better if we wait, be better if we wait. But I think the time was right and that's a fantastic podcast, which will probably come out after this one. It'll probably be the next one released. So stay tuned for Stacy. A couple notes before we dive in. I want to give a thanks to Pat from Vicobi. Uh, Mike and I on the podcast a couple couple shows ago, I guess, were talking about safety and downwind, and Pat listened and asked if we wanted to test some of the gear. And so I have one of the PFDs, actually a really dope pair of sunglasses from them too. But the uh, the PFD, I mean, it's awesome. Like I'm I'm really excited. I've only had one run on it so far. Our conditions have been pretty weird lately, but much better than anything else that I have tried for safety. And I just love all the compartments and pockets because you know you got your food and, and everything. So that's that's really cool. And I'll I'll give you guys updates as how I like it moving forward. You know, it was I tried it on the foil drive on a really difficult day and it wasn't a great run, but it that wasn't the issue. So I'll uh, I think it's gonna be awesome for SOP. And I think that's where I'll predominantly use it. So thank you, Pat, for shooting that over. If you guys want me to test anything or I've got some awesome ideas out there and, and want someone to, to uh, put it through the paces, I do a lot of that. So I'd be stoked to do it. Foil notes before we jump in. I'm learning, I've been spending a lot of time on the foil drive just because our water is so cold right now. And I have to say that that's a blessing to be able to go out when the water's 56, 55, and to not touch the water <laughs> that often is really nice. I've gone from wearing a 4.3 and boots to wearing a 3.2 no boots on the like, 65 degree days. And it's that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. Uh, the, the only downside that I've found so far, I did a pretty heavy downwind run on it. 
And for us, it was lots of crossed up swell, kind of a destroyed ocean. And there's a limitation in how much mast you can use. And so, you know, kind of when you're rolling over a bigger, steeper bump, you know, I think it was six, seven feet at six seconds was the predominant wind swell. And then there was a lot of side chop on it as well. So, so a difficult day to navigate. And I came off foil a couple times because of that. It's really the only thing thus far where I haven't been 100% stoked, you know? So like on a day like that, maybe I would ride, you know, I think the next day that nukes, I'll probably ride this up because you only use it to pop up once. But on the smaller downwinds when you're playing, I prefer it because then you can surf a lot harder. On those bigger days, you're not really surfing that much. Our, our conditions, I mean, maybe someone a lot better than me would still be playing, but it's more about survival and, and making it, I find. So that's the, uh, that's the only thing so far where I was like, oh, maybe I wish I was on something else, but it's wild, you know, like I haven't really proned, I haven't really towed since I got it, but I think a lot of that also has to do with water temperature and it's just so much nicer to not be in the water and to not, I'm getting, you know, incredible flight time in, you know, an hour instead of being out there for an hour and a half and in the water so much. So it's gonna be interesting to see how all that progresses as we get into some warmer conditions. And I'm actually really stoked about this week because this week coming up is the Foil Surf Racing League down in Cocoa Beach. Thanks, Billy, for putting that on. Good breeze. You guys rock. We'll actually have a unifoil tent there, uh, a lot of portal boards as well on display. So if you guys are coming to the race, make sure you come by and say hey to uh, Mike, Brian, Paul, and I. We'll all probably be hanging around in the same place. And Paul Cooper's flying into Jack's on Tuesday. And so I get to learn from one of the masters on the drive. So we're going to spend a couple days. We'll probably tow one day and foil drive one day is my guess. But I should be able to to learn a whole lot more. I want to see. I mean, what he's doing is phenomenal on that thing. So it's going to be really cool to see that in person. So, all right, let's dive in with Greg. Stay tuned for some epic shows coming up. It's only getting going. I seem to have a, a little bit of renewed energy for this right now. I'm stoked on it. And yeah, thank you guys always for the support, for tuning in. It's a great community. Just keep working at it. Make sure it stays awesome. All right. Greg, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing, Eric? I'm I'm all right. It's we're at three days out of the water right now with just some so so my mood tends to fluctuate with ocean time somewhat, but it's gonna we've got a good <laughs> run coming up, so just crushed a good workout yeah. and been eating good all day. Just getting ready for it. Yeah, yeah. As, as I was saying before, we hopped on here. I just got off the water too, so I'm at a, I'm at a high point after after a few days of being off the water as well. What's really funny is I thought that my podcasts would be really good after I surfed and was super fired up. There, I don't think they're as good because I tend to talk about twice as much. <laughs> so it's i think it's great for the guest to get a good surf in i think as a host i need to not not foil right beforehand <laughs> well it's a great low pressure way to interview somebody be like listen i'm going to bring you on the podcast but i'm pretty much going to talk 90 percent of the time so <laughs> well so you guys sent me a foil the omens i like them a lot really good foils i love that you guys partnered and i hope i can say this with no limits on the mast i think that was brilliant i've always yep. been a big fan of what they do and I think that's such a smart way to build a foil too, which is to 
focus on take 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 away things that you don't necessarily if there's already something good out there leverage it and then build on top I, I think that's smart so give me some background on who you are and all that and then we'll dive into the foils and i've gotten to feel them a bunch so we can get pretty granular on the feels of them too so that's cool yeah who am i so i mean i've been i've been loving water sports since i was uh since before i had access to them being from like central canada i've always been obsessed with playing in the waves and that kind of thing. And so I, I got a job when I was in university as a whitewater raft guide. So that was kind of my first experience of like having waves and that that energy is like part of my daily life. I got into the military and at the same time getting paid more than a raft guide, I could pursue some more eclectic hobbies like kiteboarding. So got into that, which which eventually led me to working for a company called Ocean Rodeo when I got out of the military. And the, the project I was on was this Alula fabric. So I was kind of like hold up in the basement, trying to come up with a better kiteboarding fabric, which has now become more than that. And the that company has has grown largely through the involvement in water sports and is doing a bunch of different stuff with Fortune 500 companies and, and trying to develop lighter, stronger products. And at that kind of same time as they were growing, I decided I wanted to do my own thing and stick within the water sports world. And I was just super passionate about foiling and, and surfing through that period. And so yeah, started started Omen Foils with two partners of mine, a guy I knew really well in the military, Justin, and Peter, who who I I'd ridden his his kite foil when I first got into kite kite foiling. And I loved that foil so much. And he was just like way ahead of everybody in terms of construction in like I think like 2015, 2016. He was making these like bomber carbon fiber kite foils. So so yeah, it was just kind of things came together and we were all in a place where we were excited to step into something new. So yeah, started developing products with those guys over over a long period of time. Love it. T talk a little bit about what was your job in the military? So I was a mechanical engineer. So I worked with a number of different units. The first one would be a, a unit called the Canadian Special Operations Regiment. That's That's where I spent most of my career. And what I would kind of consider the highlight of my career was being the maintenance officer of that unit. So responsible for basically keeping all their equipment running and integrating new new vehicles, weapons, and, and optics and all that kind of stuff into the unit and coming up with support plans to, to ensure that equipment is like peak operational uh, overseas. It's pretty cool. So you're basically like the Q of Canada. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm like a less cool queue. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any any of those projects that you can talk about? Any of the integrations um, that you did or, or or new products that you yeah, brought into the teams? I'm trying to think. A lot of it is like like anything, when you <laughs> when you pull back the curtain, the stuff that you expect is is top secret sexy. It's it's the top secret stuff is more like what one person's take is on this other bureaucrat like that that kind of language is what in those circles is like most coveted because it can be so destructive if it gets out and where certain people are inserted in different areas um whereas the equipment stuff i think we it's it's fun to play that game but a lot of it is not that secretive like ultimately firearms are firearms and so i'm trying to think what would be a good example but well yeah one, one example that i think I, I can talk about is we had the guys had humvees and the the special forces mentality compared to the army mentality is like the army is more about size and scale and kind of overwhelming the enemy with 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 movement and tactics 
and having good protection as well. Protection through your, your tactics, but as well as protection through armor. Whereas the special forces is more just like that absolute shock and like complete overmatch in aggression. So we had Humvees and the guys basically wanted to take all the armor off to make them lighter and faster, but cover them with guns. So that was a project that we did. It's like, okay, how can make these things basically faster, deadlier murder machines and and do it quickly enough to to get them overseas where where they were where they were needed for this mission. That's wild. Is there anything that you bring from your experience in the army and being a project manager in that context back to Omen? I mean, it sounds like two thirds of you are from that background. I don't know Justin's background, but it's from that as well. Yeah, he's a, he was a logistics planner, so kind of similar idea, but more planning like how you support those guys in theater. Uh, which is helpful for Omen because that's that's the least exciting thing in my mind to do. But he he's super into that, um, making sure people get stuff on time and and all that. Um, so if someone orders, so yeah, orders a foil, they should get it on time. There should be good clear communication and everything should work. <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me if you don't talk to Justin. I'm happy to. <laughs> yeah, so bringing from the military, I think I think for me a key part that translates over rather than the technical because it's. I mean, maybe it's a way of thinking that is beneficial, but leadership, the military talks a lot about leadership and right away as an officer, you're, you're given a lot of authority and command over people and they take it very seriously how you exercise that command. And what's nice is that the military has had many iterations of determining what's a successful way to lead people. And even more so in the special forces, which is, is different than the army is that you can build your team you can choose your top players whereas the army it's kind of like you got to work with what you got which is which is another leadership challenge but so i think what what i took with with omen from that is we're able to choose the best partners choose the best people so bringing peter on who like i could i've got a composites background so obviously we could figure out how to work with a factory in china and build a foil and probably be an okay foil but Peter builds the best foils and I'm never going to build a foil better than Peter. So bringing him on the team was just kind of a no brainer. And, and similarly, how you said about ICE, they're building the best mass. So if I'm making mass, I want to be on their team. And so, yeah, I think, and I think like another part of leadership is, is precision of aim, like to talk about the difference between leadership and, and management. Um, Omen's a small company and it's going to likely stay a small company. So we can't try to do too many things. Cause we'll just, we'll do them all average. Right. And, and nobody really wants average. So we tried to pick a few, we tried to pick one thing, which is like connecting with wave energy and having equipment that gives you the highest possible efficiency across the widest possible range. And that intuitive control and just do that with two, two foils at the beginning and one board. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that. I mean, I guess the other thing that the special forces would, would talk about there is is fighting dirty so never never getting into a fair fight and i think that you know if you were comparing what omen offers compared to other brands you know we just there's so many different sizes and foils and disciplines that we just have no offering in so we're just you know if you're comparing they're just other companies are just way better than us that they they do this these other aspects of foiling so much better but how i'd like it is that when they're looking at comparing their 850 to R850 or their 1050, 1050, like, well, that's unfair because they guys, those guys have just taken years to develop one wing and the whole system is 
engineered around that wing. The tail is designed around that wing. And it's like, yeah, that, that's my design. If, if that wing and what we designed it for connects with you, we want it to be the absolute best in a total unfair competition. So that's kind of, I think those are the things probably that I would say I took from, from military experience to this. How are you liking the transition? How do you enjoy the daily of working with Omen? Hmm. It's, 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 that's an interesting question. It's funny because it's almost, it's almost more stressful. You'd think it like irrationally, it shouldn't be because when one stake you're, you make a mistake and it costs people their lives, but and then when this in Omen, it's like, you make a big mistake and it costs you a lot of money <laughs> or like, <laughs> and it's like, obviously if I was completely fair and balanced and good person, it would be much less stressful having a uh, foil company than, but in reality, it's like, as, cause I, I, you've done some entrepreneurial stuff. It's, it's stressful when you, when you put yourself out there and say, okay, I think, I think people are going to really like this and I'm kind of, I'm betting the farm on it. Yep. I mean, it's also one of my favorite places to be. I mean, I love that feeling. I love the all in. I love playing poker. I just love those moments. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I think it's a different type of person, generally speaking, who enjoys that. And I, I the, the one thing that I find, because I do a, a number of different things, but they're all kind of self-authored, is it's the constant need for self-motivation. I'm sure that's a little different coming from a very regimented schedule type situation into a world where you kind of have to figure out what you're doing every day. Yeah. Well, I think one way that's pretty cool that the, the military has shifted is there's this concept now, and I think it's it's very much the same with the U.S. military, is it's called mission command. And mm-hmm. that it's supposed to be a shift in thinking from you're the boss, you tell your subordinates, this is what this is what you do and this is how I need you to do it. Where it's shifted and it's like, this is what I want to happen. This is like the end state that I want. So you're better equipped to figure that out. And it's part of like building that team of good people. It's like you figure that out. So in the same way as like when I was in the military and theoretically being a good leader, I would kind of tell my guys like, Hey, this is, this is what I want done, but you're better equipped to figure out how to do it. And similarly, my boss would not tell me how to do my job. He'd just say, Hey, this is kind of how I want things to look like you figure out how to make that happen. So you're actually given quite a bit of leeway. And I would say even more so in the special forces to kind of be the master of your own destiny you just have to the end state is set so i mean that's the difference with with omen is that we're we're figure we had to figure out from the outset like what do we actually want to do mm-hmm. but we have i have lots of freedom in how to accomplish that in both in both organizations i would say i love that i love that that's as someone who having run a few different businesses over the years and i'm a pretty bad i'm pretty bad at organization that's the only way that I've been able to keep teams together is just like, here are our main objectives. And it, it, the other thing I really like about that is it weeds people out. Like if you can't just come in and be a self-starter and see where the mission, like in your terminology, like where the mission is headed and then play your role, you don't last long. Um, I, I like yeah. That. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a force meant like that to use a military term, it's a force multiplier because you can imagine on the battlefield, if you have one, group and i'm t- not t- talking about 10 guys you say you've got 500 people that are spread out and they're listening to one mind is kind of dictating every move and then you've got 500 people on the other side and every single one at the lowest level is seizing every little opportunity they can at each you know group level yep. and communicating that back and that plan is like constantly shifting and changing live it's like 
it's like fighting this flowing amorphous thing that is constantly shifting faster than you can react to it if you're you're one person yeah it makes a lot of sense um, what is your what is your background? That's one thing I've listened to a bunch of episodes of the podcast, and, and it's actually something I wanted to say at this outset is like, you've been such an inspiration, and and I would say more than just an inspiration, like you've given me the tools to surf well because I'm not, I was not a surfer. Like I I did surf for two years and I was super into it, but I didn't. I started when I was like you know thirty. I'm not that, one of those guys that had that the good surfers often start when they're really young. So listening to the podcast and getting all those consistent tips from you when I'm on the, often driving to the, to the surf spot, it was super key. But one thing I've never picked up is like, what, what is your background? What's your, what's been your career? How did you land where you're at? Mm, I'll give the 30 second version. I actually did a podcast <laughs> with Marcus, what's his, Marcus Aurelius Anderson, where I kind of go through the whole thing. It, it's a, it's a pretty long story, but I grew, I grew up in Gainesville, got a job in college at a tech bar systems. It was a software development firm and quickly realized that I wasn't built to sit in an office or work for other people. However, going back to what you just touched on a little while ago about being able to learn from an environment, like what I learned there. It was an incredibly well-run company and I became really good friends with the CEO owner of the company. And, and we actually had like a book club. We would read the same book every week and then talk about it and had two great mentors there, Tony Barr and this guy, Pate Cantrell, and learned as much as I could for a couple of years. And then when I got offered like a really good job and I was 21, 22, I was still in, in college and I, it was a trap. I didn't want to get stuck doing that. So I decided I was going to retire and never work for anyone again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just started my own companies after that. I did some real estate stuff, had a software development, like kind of like a business application website company. So like websites, this was early 2000s websites, but with a back end that actually did something before you could just do that. It all had to be custom built. And then moved to Costa Rica shortly thereafter and kind of just used all of those skills to build up pretty popular website for surfing in Costa Rica and built a real estate company around that and then did rentals, sales and led into development there and then exited that at like 2016, 2017. And that's when I was really big into sub surfing and started a sub surf camp in Costa Rica that still exists now. It's called Blue Zone Sup. And then we had to move back to Florida 2017 because my wife got sick and then I got into a bunch of weird stuff, which finally led to foiling. I do some other consulting in the surf space and the technical like design of, of waves and things like that with a surf pool company. So it's all design stuff now. And that's something I don't yeah. ever really talk about because it's like completely tangential, but a lot of similarities mm -hmm. in like design of waves and design of foils. Oh, very cool, man. What it, like, it's amazing that you kind of got started on that journey so young. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, everybody starts on their journey young, but starting on that entrepreneurship and bucking the, the trend of just going along with the, the corporate, the corporate well, stuff. For a decade. It was bad, man. I used to, number one, working at an office, if I wasn't severely hungover, I couldn't sit there all day and I'd just leave. And, but I was really good. I was, <laughs> I was in sales and I, like my sales numbers were great, but I was the most absent the most I took the most days off and had the most internet time, but I was still good at sales. Like my numbers, like were top of the top of the charts. So you couldn't really say anything to me except for every Friday I was gone. 
and I would make Sarah, my wife, we were together at the time. I'd have her drive me because if I had a car and it was a sunny day, I'd be like, I'm going surfing, I'm going fishing. And I'd drive from Gainesville <laughs> to go do one or the other. And it was just like, I was so miserable that it was pretty easy for me to see that that was not the path. I just being locked in a, <laughs> in a cubicle was, it was actually a nice yeah. office too. I had a window and stuff, but I just, I wasn't built for it, man. I gotta, gotta be out there and doing stuff. Right. Uh, sales is such a funny thing. I, I, I know of a guy who got fired from his sales job. He was basically purely commission. Yeah. And the company's like, we're paying this guy way too much money. <laughs> but it's like, and he's not, he's not, he's kind of similar. He wasn't showing up and stuff. And they're like, this, this guy's got to go because he's making like a huge, a, an a, a ungodly amount of money. So they fired him. And then the next sales guy <laughs> didn't make nearly as much money. So they were super happy. The sales went down to two. But <laughs> yeah. Well, we weren't commissioned. And so it was even it was yeah. even worse because I was crushing it on sales and because it was all about time at the job basically and mm. degrees, I was making like a third or a quarter of what some of the guys were making that I was beating. And I was, yeah, <laughs> there wasn't a lot That's of motivation either. Yeah, for sure. So, but I still I like I love that experience there and and like the books like there was a year where. Mr. Barr and I just read a book basically every week and talked. I got to like have this brilliant dude. Like, because this was like before I started in the sales job, I was kind of like just answering phones and doing stuff there. And that was like one of the most important years. I learned more in that year of just reading and talking to him than I did in college for sure. It was great. Yeah. And it's been like similarly to draw a bit of a, a tangent to my life, it, working at Ocean Rodeo and which is now. Well, because I was really ever only ever working at Alula, because mm -hmm. I was working for Ocean Rodeo, but solely focused on this Alula project. But having that kind of front seat to a brand in the industry that's doing technical innovation and all the, it's just it gave me such a great perspective on on how to, you know, on on, on how it works, right? So I don't know. I don't think I would have been able to do what we've done with Omen without having that that experience and seeing like. And, and also like seeing how you can make good decisions and sometimes negative things can happen. And there's just, there's not a, you can't think your way out of some problems. You just have to see, see what happens and, and learn from it. So it's great to be able to have seen that unfold and be able to take that experience and make, make my own thing with, with a couple of the guys I trust most. What did you bring from that experience to Omen specifically? Like what were some of the big takeaways that you have incorporated into the philosophy um, of Omen. One thing I'll say really positive about the, like Richard, who's, who's the owner of, of and CEO of Ocean Rodeo and Alula, and as well as Pete, who's the, who's a, like a financial backer and involved in all the kind of chemistry stuff is they're, they're super hard to kill. Like it's amazing the amount of motivation and resilience in the face of like, because with Alula, like that fabric, it's a completely irrational thing to do. Like a kiteboarding company to make a high performance fabric that's, you know, like supposed to be better than these like billion dollar multinational corporations and do it all out of a basement on like a, with the profits of a, a kiteboarding company. But they're just, they're just, they're, they know, they have this belief that this is going to happen. We're going to do it. It's going to be the best. It's, it's not just going to be on par. It's going to be way better. And despite we try one thing, we, we believe, okay, we've got it figured out now, this is going to work. And then it completely fails. And it's like, not like, oh shit, we can't do this. 
it was always like, okay, what next? What next? And just that iteration and every time you make a mistake learning. And so that was, that was really different because in the military, you don't take those same kind of risks, right? Cause you're, you're gambling. I mean, obviously you do at times, but not in all at war you would, but in my experience in the military, we weren't taking those types of risks, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a different conflict. Um, we, yeah, we were just weren't risking. So we were doing things that, you know, it, it, on paper, it's like, this will probably fail. We don't know what else to do and we think it might work. So we're going to try it and we're going to buy, cause like the, the minimum order quantities of some, a lot of these materials we're working with would be like 20, $30,000. It's like, all right, let's do it. Let's get it in. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was, that was a really, a really great experience. And I went to that, not knowing a lot, like not being a very technically sound engineer being more of that leadership and management from my military experience. And then mm -hmm. going into something that it's like deeply, like even more so theoretical than engineering. Cause it's like having to understand the chemistry and thermodynamics and all that kind of deep stuff that's going on. So it was a great kind of crash course for me to, to get into composites and, and, and learn about how these things work together. So it's different than hard composites, but there's so many similarities and it just, I, mean, I think it just gives me a whole framework of understanding of how to understand a, a hard rigid composite because I have all the terms and the understanding of stresses and different failure modes and all that. So that was super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the performance jump in Alula is compared to the fabrics that were being used before? Yep. So it's the same as like a carbon fiber mountain bike to um, yeah. an aluminum mountain bike. You can take a, a 35 pound enduro bike and make it a 28 pound enduro bike and it's stiffer so it's like you get better pedal efficiency you have a more direct connection and it's lighter which is just most of these things we do lighter is lighter is better so the first thing we did was kiting because winging when we started really wasn't a thing and the kites like with kite foiling i think it was perfectly paired with kite foiling because we were riding 10 meter kites that you was all you needed for the, for the foils we were on, but they'd be falling into the sky. Mm. So the difference to the kites is like, you have this kite that's in the super light wind that you'd be flying a 10 meter and, and kite foiling. Now it's hanging in the sky easily and you can kind of stop paying attention to it and, and pay attention to what you're doing on the foil. And, and then the other thing is, is the, in really light wind, you dive the kite and you get power and then you turn it up to fly it up. And, the problem is it climbs up really slow. So you kind of start slogging and then you dive it down again, you get a bit of speed. So you can be fighting to get on foil. Whereas these kites, because they're lighter and they turn faster, that signing motion was a lot more effective and more consistent to like work yourself onto foil in super light winds. One thing I didn't expect, but it seems to be the case is they also handle overpowered conditions better. So so because you've got this more rigid frame rather than it distorting and kind of bagging out and mm. sucking more wind and sitting deeper in the window and pulling you harder downwind, which is ultimately what means you need to get on a bigger kite. They seem to, to fly closer to the edge of the window and they accept a deep power better. So, I mean, I think that's bled into a lot of what, you know, has been an, an inspiration for the Omen foils is trying to have less foils with a broader range of use, a broader speed range. So anyway, but yeah, that's, that's what it did for, for kites. And then for wings, it's, 
it's the same two basic, the same concept. It's like when you're trying to pump yourself up onto foil with the wing, if your wing is bending and flexing, you're losing all that, that energy in the pump. To, so you're taking more energy and then also your wing is flexing. So it's less efficiently creating that drive to get yourself out of the water. And then when you're overpowered, it's bagging out. You're creating a lot of extra drag and not getting that really efficient lift and drive forward. So it's just increasing the the range of your of your wing to be to stick to the more like to the design shape. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm a big believer that foil evolution is going to somewhat taper off here, and it's going to be material science. Like we're waiting. I think foiling is waiting for the Alula jump, essentially. And who knows how long it's going to happen. It's because it's an interesting one where foiling's evolving at this pace. And I actually was just talking about this in regards to like foil drive and battery technology. It's, it's like we're experiencing this technological revolution, both in the hybrid era of foiling and in foil design itself. But we are going to be limited out here by evolutionary curves that are much uh, older. So composite material and battery technology. So we're about to come up to that wall here, I think, fairly soon. I, th I Some people think we still have a lot of time left in like foil evolution. I think it's an exponential curve. And I think that the like the, the huge rise of that curve is it, we're, we're nearing it. If, if, if maybe one or two more iterations, but I don't <laughs> think there's four or five more huge jumps out there. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. That I think like the next foils we do, I know are going to be better. Like, or else we won't release them. But yep. like, it's going to be marginal, right? It's I don't think it's going to be like, oh, you were doing three for ones with the operator ten fifty. Like, get this, and you're just going to stay on foil for six weeks. Like, you know, like whereas if you're on a three year old foil right now which I know it kind of sucks about the sport. It's like the guy that has to buy the used three-year-old foil, like he's at a major disadvantage from the guy that might have lower skills, but is on that newer, better, faster equipment. Like there's, whereas surfing, I'd say it's less so. Like if you're a good surfer, you can go on Craigslist and get a hundred dollar board and you're going to outsurf a guy that has all the newest stuff and is just that little bit less skilled. That, that probably wasn't true though in what, like the late fifties, early sixties. There was probably they yeah. went through this curve too, right? It's it's this yeah. foiling in fifteen years will be the similar thing. It won't matter if you're three years old. Yeah, I, I heard. I actually was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about how that cycle gets faster every time it turns around. Like, like you had that surfing curve where it took so long for the gear mm. to become like just generally good, and then windsurfing was maybe like you know thirty years. Kiting was like. 20 or maybe even 15 and it's just kind of every time it's it's stepping up and getting faster because people know the people that are working on it are the same people or have been taught by the same people so we're we're getting more effective at solving the same problems yep and now we have 50 years of established board sport athletes so a lot of the mechanics yeah. you look at a guy like kiahi who comes over or a zane schweitzer kai lenny like those guys will be able to, someone's going to invent something new and those guys will be ripping on it in, in no time. Um, it's we, Mike and I touched on it on the last podcast though. It's it, I'm really excited about the pro surfer getting into foiling and seeing where that hap where that takes us. Like it's so fun to foil with Geiselman. 
and just every time you foil with him it's like he it's like it's been three months but in his world it's been like three years of, <laughs> of getting better yeah yeah and it's it's cool. it, it is it's one thing to watch them but it's another thing to foil with somebody that's at that level like that's definitely like i've leveled up just after one session with some like really high-end guys because you see when you're on the same wave with them and you think you're high on your mast you think you're high on the wave and then you look over and the guy's like you're looking at the bottom of his board you're like okay i'm not nearly as high as i think <laughs> yeah actually that foil drive has been a great training tool for me with that we just this hectic uh downwinder on monday brian and i and it was so interesting seeing when i get real low on masts because like, you can mm -hmm. with with the with the motor there and and the battery there and i think it's going to make me a much better foiler i had a couple frustrating moments on it on that run but and you use yeah. the same like mast like you're you're still on an 80 mast yeah i was on an 80 i'm going to go to the 83 for those bigger downwind condition days i might actually just start riding like an 83 because it just changes everything you ride small masts when you downwind because it's easier to pop up on them most of the time but you don't have to worry about that if you assisted if you're hybrid so yeah it just it just kind of changes all the it changes the design criteria of, of what you got to put together for the session i like two things with small mass i do find that because i i wing an 87 mast and then okay. 75 oh, wow. and I, the thing i like the about the 75 for surfing is that it, it forces me to stay keep the foil closer to the surface of the water mm -hmm. like even if i'm because i i I find that I generally keep my board a foot or a foot and a half above the surface of the water, whether I'm on the 87 or the 75. So that 75, it just, my foil is naturally closer to that efficiency and, and the power of the wave. Mm -hmm. And I also do think there's some effect of like having that lever shorter, being able to like turn over faster. Oh, and for roll. sure. Yep. Quicker roll for sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess at our spots too, you've got probably sandy beaches. We're on like rocks. And so when you're, when the waves are small and you've got the, the longer mass, you're just crunching every time <laughs> you try to get up, which is painful. Um, yeah. Do you just run back into the shop and just grab a new foil when that happens or? <laughs> I wish. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my foil is thrashed right now. Like I, I thought somebody, somebody want, like wanted a demo the other day. I was like, Oh yeah, come by. And then like, I looked at my foil as I'm giving it to them. I'm like, oh man, this this is sucks. Like, <laughs> this is not a good demo foil. It's, it's like, yeah, especially yeah. people that wing. And this guy was winging, so it's like you don't ex wingers don't trash their gear the same way you do when you're surfing on rocky breaks. So it's like he's looking at it like, what the hell is this? Yeah, how are they? How are they holding up with the carbon to steel to carbon connections? in wingers who are doing big jumps and all that kind of stuff it seems pretty solid any issues there never had an issue yet i mean i think yeah I, I think it's pretty damn solid like and the reason we we did that is is just to keep that fuselage as thin as possible right so that yeah because it's slippery. To go back to that point it's very slippery yeah and it's yeah and it's very slippery even if the foil's operating at a high angle of attack or a negative angle of attack when that fuselage is like traveling at an angle so I think that's a that's a big thing that is not really seen with a lot of foils is that, that fuselage is not always traveling straight. In fact, it's generally not traveling straight through the water. Right. Yeah, it's I, I from from a speed perspective, it's really smart. It's an interesting feel 
from a weight perspective because the, the no limits or the your mast is so yeah. light and then you have weight though at the bottom and i first when i picked it up i was like i wonder how this is going to feel i don't know if i'm going to like this i didn't notice it when i was in the water i mean i guess buoyancy and water is different weight and water is different and so yeah i i didn't notice it i did it didn't feel bad or anything but it but it, it was a weird feel when i picked it up because it you definitely have that center of mass but that's another thing that i'm learning from foil drive we're so picky about weight but then you can throw like nine pounds under your board and it's in the right spot and it's not that much worse. I think where that mass is positioned is really important, right? And that, that's the, the big innovation with their their current system, like getting it yep. off the like nose of the board and under the mass plate. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I have it. So to kind of get to your point on the on the stainless steel, I don't notice any any difference that that weight. And we have had we did do some aluminum versions, mm. but the people who do notice a difference are people that are doing like freestyle like airs and stuff when you're trying to like torque that out and bring it back under outside of the water it makes a difference and you know my point has been like that's not what the foil's for like if it if it works great for you there that's that's fine but it's a wave it's a wave riding foil it's meant to most efficiently capture energy from waves and for me with like the design criteria this is how to most efficiently do that and of course it does decrease the performance as like a, a freestyle setup and but it's it's just not that and that's the kind of the benefit of like defining the problem really narrowly. We were able mm -hmm. to make those types of decisions because we're not making we're not making a general use foil. It's a very specific foil for a specific use profile. Yeah, and and I like it for that. I did some shore runners, some downwinders, a lot of winging on it, a couple prone sessions. Got a lot of sessions on them, and it was actually felt like home for me in a lot of ways. It like it feels very similar to kind of like the same tuning, the same balance as. Like I like in a foil, like kind of how the progressions feel. I would say that it's like the speed range for the same size is up maybe one to two miles an hour, both on bottom end and top end, which is cool. And it's easy to keep it there because it's it's an efficient foil. Like once you have speed, it's really easy to keep it there. There are a couple of days like when it's a little bit smaller where you're, I'm working just a little bit harder to get to speed. But then once you're at speed, it's great. And I like the like I like the balance. I like the way that it rolls and the efficiency. It's like it's a it's a good foil. And I know that like Kane has spent a lot of time on those foils too. And he and I talked tuning for a while and and at the beginning just kind of getting it all set up and whatnot. And he 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 and I like landed on the same things. Like your 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 tail's good. Like I like your tail a lot, especially on the wing. I think it's really good. I yeah. in the surf. It's good for runners. It's good for like downwinding because it gives you a little bit. It, it basically lengthens the fuse a little bit, like stretches out the pump. For surfing, I like to tighten it up a little bit more and, and go to like a KD 13R or a like a progression 13 and a half. And then it, it felt like a little bit surfier to me, which I liked. Yeah, I've actually got one of those 13.5 progressions coming, which I'm, oh, cool. I'm pretty excited to try that. Yeah. We're doing a new tail, which is going to be like, Almost, I think the progression tail will just based on how it looks will sit in between the ahi and the, our next high aspect tail. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of trying to make it so the currently the ahi tail is kind of a a low end tail that's designed for turning and to get that smooth balanced feel across the, spe the speed range. But where it would be compromised is that like high speed glide. So this next tail is really high speed glide, and like we're optimizing it for that and trying to give it decent low end 
but really focusing on optimizing high-speed glide to give people these kind of two more extreme options. So when That's they've got cool. their, their 1050 or the 850, they can have like, just like Lego, like, what do you want to do today? What, which foil are you riding more, the 1050 or the 850? In the surf, I was riding the 1050 more. On the wing, I like them both. And we had some really good days on the, the 850. It's fast. Like, I liked the speed on the 850. You know, like, once, once you're at speed, you're, like, whipping into waves on the wing. It's, uh, it's a cool feeling. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. because, <laughs> But I think, like, the interesting thing with the progression and, and our foils is we both looked at like the fundamental question first. Like I think a lot of, it's very common, I think when you're doing something is to to get right into the solution without like saying what, like what is the question that we're trying to solve? What are we trying mm -hmm. to optimize for? And listening to the kind of development of the progression, it sounded like what you guys tried to do is focus on that low end. It's like, how can we optimize low end as much as possible in a wing? Whereas we the different question we asked whereas i think it would be commonly like hey let's come out with 10 sizes of the wings and each one will be optimized for that speed that it's designed for yours is like how how low end can we get out of this wing like how small can we go and get all the benefits of that small wing but be able to get up and and foil and stay efficient at these low speeds where then yeah. ours rather than having that peak at the low end we're trying to broaden that peak across the range as far as possible so it's it's interesting to hear your perspective on it if some, for somebody who who optimized for a different thing, but ultimately was asking the kind of same core question of like, well, where should this efficiency lie? Where should we spread it out? And I think it's indicative of where foils are designed too. Like that's one of the things that I really like to look at. And I talked to so many of the designers and behind the scenes, like talking to all the guys all the time. And you can really tell like, the progressions were tested and optimized for short period florida type waves they're really good at that but we send them around and like the guys who are riding longer period surf generally want to go faster and so we're working on a bunch of fun stuff like like that right now that'll come out yeah. soon or whatever but i can tell that you guys had a similar question in your in your words but we're 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 doing it in a, in a very different place with different energy, and so the solution makes like a lot of sense. <laughs> it's cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah. That would be, and that's like I think it's also maybe more of like coming from the surfing style versus maybe more of a wind style. That like, mm -hmm. I'm a I would say I'm more of a wind guy that is obsessed with surfing. Right, and it's like when I'm looking at foiling it's like our, i want our foil to have really good low end in order to get back up to speed like i just i don't want to come off foil if i make a mistake i want to be able to get back up to high speed right whereas when i look at the lines you draw it's like you want that foil to be working really well and really efficiently at that speed and kind of cruise in those softer waves and hang out so yes yeah, so you can yeah, stay in the pocket mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah, like I got really into surfing, like the Lift 120, kind of right before we started the design stuff. This is, I mean, the progression 170 was like two years ago at this point, right? Or, that was my foil before before the the operators too. Oh, cool. Foil. Yeah, I dude, I still spend a lot of time on it, but but I was on the Lift 120 a lot, like right around that same time, and I'd like look at the video and it's like, 
I'm just going so much faster than the waves wanted me to go. <laughs> That's classic. Have you tested like the Marlin tail or have you gotten a chance to ride? And I've just been doing some testing on this stuff too, like the Armstrong new high aspect with their 140 tail. I haven't. I've, I've wanted to test those. The Armstrong ones, I actually have a buddy that, that rides them. So I, mm -hmm. I guess I tried it on his, he's got the 1080 HA. Yep. But those those tails don't bolt up to our system. I think they have a different mm. spacing. It's like 33 millimeters versus ours is kind of like as close as you can get to the industry standard of, of 30 millimeters. Yeah, which I love that you guys did that. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for kind of helping set it. It's like, it's really, I think it was Uni and, and a couple other brands that were that were saying, hey, like, let's just do this, right? Yeah. It, well, it makes sense because then you have a quiver of tails and it gives everybody more feels. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's like it's one of those things too it's like i think 70 or 80 percent of people that foil will they're just gonna buy the off-the-shelf product and they know it's too, they don't really want they they're, they've got a busy life they want to just go to the beach on saturday put their bolt their foil on their board and go but there's that kind of 10 or 15 percent or so of the market that's always tweaking always changing like the guys changing out their surf fins and and that's i think where the tails can be a lot of fun so it's and those people also lead they lead preferences right so it's it's good to be able to support those folks and let let them tweak and play and, and optimize because it, it's better it's good for the sport it's, it's better for all of us yeah i think that your percentage is a lot different than what i would say it is i think that of our oh, yeah. group here of probably 25 foilers Probably 80% of them are always playing with some new thing. Always. It's just, maybe just everybody here is kind of like... Yeah, you, yeah, yeah I think you're just sharing your Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It also might be a difference yeah, I, in the fact that it's a beach break. It's pretty easy to get in and out of the water, so you can bring some stuff down, and you can run out and back pretty easily. It's you not know cold. what? I, think, I actually think you're, you're, you're right. And when I was saying that, I was thinking... I was thinking winging, not surfing, because you're right. Okay. All the guys that I surf with are constantly tweaking, and it's it's just that it's like it's so. I don't know if binary is the, the right word, but it's like if you change your tail, and all of a sudden you're pumping, you're getting connecting three waves instead of two, or two waves instead of none, like instead of just catching one. That's a big deal. Whereas winging, it's harder to perceive. You can perceive the differences and feel, right. but people don't notice it as much. So I think a lot of wingers just, they want to set up their gear and just go. Um, whereas surfing definitely attracts those tweakers. And that's, that's definitely what I am. And I'm, we're trying to, as you are trying to bring that same tweak system to winging yeah. because it does make just as big of a difference. It's just harder to detect because there's not really a concrete number behind it. Yeah. Yeah. With winging though, like once you get in the water and you've pumped up your wing and you brought it all down to the beach, like, the last thing you want to do is mess with anything, at least me. I, I So I get that. Yeah, I don't tweak stuff when I'm winging. And I generally usually upsize a foil, and I just don't want to have a shocker. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I think for me, I've had more frustrating experiences surfing. Just because we get, we get, like, whereas winging is just because I had come from the kite foiling background, it was quite easy to pick up, and I haven't had those frustrating, the same yeah. frustrations that I've had with with surfing. And we get we also get great winging conditions whereas our surf like today the surf was great this morning but then a tugboat was pulling this like huge barge of logs out the river mouth so there's all this debris that showed up oh. so dodging debris and then the, the tide was high so it's 
break like smashing right on these rocks as i was getting in there's like oh, big logs that are really like hurled at the these rocks it's was, it was quite a sketchy little exit <laughs> that's not good where do yeah, you normally serve? what are your spots up there our we've got we've got a couple good spots on the south coast but the the main spot is a place called i'm trying to like think should i out it but it's it's one of those things it, it's <laughs> everybody knows it it's, it's jordan river there's like a little river mouth with uh with a wave that kind of breaks and then just holds up and and holds up all across the river mouth so yeah it's, it's an awesome little spot to to surf foil and longboard it's a longboard break too which is kind of unfortunate like the it's like that i've heard this kind of thing before that like foiling is a lie like guys like yourself that are like oh yeah now you can just foil everywhere it's like a lot of places it's like you can just only foil the places where you can surf so we don't have the we don't have all those kind of like hidden spots that you can find for foiling i, I suppose a sea dew would open those up but but yeah we, we've got like a, a longboard spot that works really well yeah what about on the wing with the wing can you get to other spots or like, yeah winging yeah. you can do winging it opens up and it's super cool because we it's a like it's coastal rainforest so there's just so much stuff to explore and there's so many places where underwater currents are interacting with rock shelves and that where you'll have waves jacking up and and then little calm areas you can go in that are sheltered from the wing and like so you can foil in there and basically be surfing and dragging the wing behind you and then turn out and get back out to the wind line like there's amazing place to explore with the wing um so yeah those those days are pretty magical our the way our season sets up though is is that it's basically um surfing in the winter and then winging in the summer like we just don't get as much wind in the winter but we mm -hmm. get a lot of swell and then in the in the summer there's not so much swell but there's there's lots of wind now that's like there are there's crossover there sometimes there's some good surf days in the summer but generally that's the case so it's kind of like right now i'm in surf mode and then in the next couple of months we'll be switching over to to winging what's the water temp right now oh i actually have to check on my computer it's eight degrees to 10 degrees celsius so you probably go fahrenheit right yeah i'm gonna have to look that so up nine c to f there you go you got a computer so 48 wow that's chilly i don't think a lot of people are going to be going up there to surf i don't i think your spot's safe <laughs> yeah yeah some of the local guys <laughs> yeah i don't think there's too many people taking trips so what's next what are you guys working on now i mean without giving any of the proprietary nuts and bolts stuff you wouldn't want out yeah there. well given those tails we're we're working on a high aspect wing it's a 1250 is kind of like generally what it's you know shaping up to be and 1.2 span so very different than our operator foils which are in that kind of like mid-high aspect ratio i would say mm -hmm. and more all rounders. So this one is like to give the idea is that it's a winging foil to be able to get on anything and then just totally let go of your wing. Like I, I mean, I'm not talking about you mean sure blow your wing in, in terms of the those like surf leash or what is whatever it's called the the wingman leash. Yeah. But I just mean not not have your leash like do that big upwinder with probably a bigger board than what you'd normally ride and then this 1250 so you could have like a three meter wing in medium conditions and then just do like a big downwind run so it's kind of trying to like open up that the spirit of down like sup downwinding for people that don't have the they don't have the situation where they can coordinate and shuttle and, and all that so maybe like a different take of what josh Koo is doing with the 
with the foil drive, which I think is super cool. That's really what kind of made it a compelling thing for me. Like I, I don't like the idea. I like like the way I work is I'm an opportunistic guy. Like I have my, my 40 liter and my 60 liter board and three wings in my vehicle and my two, my two foils. And mm-hmm. it's always there. And whenever there's an opportunity, I, I take it and go. So to me having to charge a battery and get all that set up, it's, it's not, it just doesn't really like fit into my lifestyle. But when I saw him doing that, it's like, okay, that is cool. <laughs> I Being able to cruise upwind and then do a downwinder. Yeah. I like that on a prone board nonetheless. Yeah. I, well, I kind of thought the same thing until I got to feel it. And now I'm, it's, I'm getting a lot of, a lot of hate from my buddies here <laughs> about it, but <laughs> I think they're just jealous. Yeah. However you get the feels right. Like, yeah, I think when Dean is e-foiling and like sometimes in our river, it, it, it you get these like huge waves crashing and then they crumble and lose all their energy. So it's, there can be days where it's really frustrating to, to prone. Mm-hmm. Whereas then you see Dean out there just like getting on these monsters and having these like big down the line sends and it's like, ah, fucking bastard. <laughs> Whereas yeah. in other days when it's kind of like that more, that softer day where he's got the really heavy kit and it's like, it's a lot to do to, whereas, you know, when it, like you're on like a small prone setup, you can just do so much more and be pumping around. So it, it, it depends on the day too. Um, sure. Sure. I, I but am, are you finding it? You're just using it a lot. Eh? Well, I just got it. So I'm in the honeymoon phase right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like one, one week of using it. And then we've just had three days of terrible surf. And, but it's just like, for me, anything outside of doing the hardest turns I can do is just a means to an end. Right. Like, so, you know, downwinding for me is generally about like the sections where I get to do a turn the wing is just about when I get to drop it and crank some turns. And it just seems like it's giving me more of those opportunities for a lower bar, like barrier to entry where like the, the prone barrier to entry is just the amount of cardio that I'm pushing myself to so that I still get those moments a a ton. It's a different type of cardio, but it's, but it's the best, it's the most like, turns per hour that i've ever experienced even when you think about towing or anything else it's like it's it's kind of just like being in hood river hood river's like maybe the second most um where you do an eight mile run and you're pretty much just surfing the whole time this is it's basically like that but you can do it on most days when you live in florida which is pretty crazy it's it's kind of changed my mentality of where the sport's gonna head i like it all the tech is gonna get better three to five years, you're probably going to feel it even less. And he already doesn't really get in the way of your surfing, which, which is what I didn't anticipate. I thought it was going to be like, well, okay. Yeah. The, the surfing experience sucks, but it kind of doesn't. I would rather be on that than have a wing in my hand 10 out of 10 times. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I kind of hope it doesn't go that way, but I, I can't say from experience cause I'm not, I haven't had that gen two experience. Yeah. I mean, I hope that people are responsible when they get it and don't ruin the, the whatever rapport we have with surfers currently. And that's my biggest fear. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think there's maybe it's like, I'm being too romantic, but I still think there's something like with winging. I love the idea of just having this like mm-hmm. tiny little sail that packs up and nothing, no moving parts, nothing mechanical and just like going out and, 
gliding around and exploring the ocean. I mean, I love I that know. aspect I, of winging I, yeah. too. I, I mean, it's fun on like our pretty flat days. You're just out there. It feels like you're sailing. It's like cathartic. Um, Hood River is like what you mentioned. That's where I find you with winging. And I'm sure with, with downwinding, it's the same. You just get like turn after turn after turn, right? Like mm-hmm. that place is just, it's nuts. I, like I love traveling there, but I almost think I would get bored living there just because it's so good and so consistent. You don't have that kind of jumbled mishmash where you're trying to make all these moves and connect things and play that game the same way. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think like I lived in Costa Rica as a surfer and then in Florida as a surfer and I would take the waves every day over over waiting on them. Well, I don't mean waiting on them. I more mean like in yeah. when, in our ocean, it's more chaotic. Yeah. And it's like you're there's big waves coming through and small waves and you're trying to connect one to the other. Whereas in the river, it's just like wave after wave, just like trucking down the river. I kind of like making it, making it work when trying to like find the energy and you, you kind of lose the energy and then have to go pump around and get on it again. Um, that's an exciting part of it for me. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I like all the, I mean, I love the, one of my favorite things about downwinding is just that it feels like an adventure when you go out there and mm-hmm. I've done a couple runs now with the foil drive and it doesn't feel like that, but I'm surfing a lot more. So It'll be interesting yeah. to see over the next month how that changes. Because I'm sure it will. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, Because I think part of it, what we're addicted to with these things is that curve of progression, right? Yep. And like, if the foil drive shortens that curve of progression, that will be an addicting thing at the outset. But ultimately, is it more interesting to be doing something that is, it takes longer to level up? Yeah. But I mean, I guess you could just focus on different things though. Yeah. Like you can like, that's, like that's for sure. time in the surf the other day, like I was able to focus on technique and style more than I probably ever had because you're just, you're, you have so much, there's no scarcity in access to waves and you're not tapped out cardio compared to, to like proning. And so you get to work on different things. I think if you stop working on things, I, I would agree. And knowing myself, like, I just bounce back and forth between things once something isn't quite as exciting. So I think it'll probably be that. Yeah. And I, I do get that. Like, I mean, when I'm, when I'm surfing, like, and I'm, you know, you know, making connections and there's like today where there's stuff and I, I hit a piece of bark or something and it stops me. And now I've got to like paddle back out to the peak. I hate that. So yeah, yeah. if I had a, I would be much more aggressive today if I had a little motor on my foil that I would just, like, oh, whatever, just zip, zip right back out to the peak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for sure, I can say that. I've, I've With winging, do you do that stink bug start technique? Do you, does that ring a bell? I do a knee to pop up real quick on my sinker boards. So I don't know if it's the stink bug. The stink bug's the one where you, you straddle the board like a surfboard, you grab the front handle of your wing, and then grab your other hand, you grab the like the front handle by like the, not the toe handle, but like the mm-hmm. actual one that you use to wing and grab the nose of your board and use your elbows, your both your elbows to hold the nose and scoot your butt back, get your knees on. So it basically makes it really easy to balance on your board. So you're not having to balance on your knees and bring your wing up. And then all you've got to do is take your backhand and like reach out and snag that handle and you're under wing power. 
anyway, like one of the things like in line with what you're saying with the foil drive with winging, I've kind of like pushed people to learn that technique because it's so consistent mm. and it makes you not afraid to fall it to fall. So you can be so much more aggressive winging because you know, you're not going to mess up seven or eight times trying to get back under, under wing power. Oh, right on. I, I do something similar, but I think I just start on my knees. <laughs> I'm pretty good at balancing on boards. I used to do that all the time, like surfing, just balance boards underwater. And we do yeah. that towing too. I think that I'll be able to, with the Enigma, actually just start on my feet here because I've been towing that board some, which is kind of weird to tow a board that's that big, but it's fun to tow it. Especially if you're how like, big is that? How many? How many? Fifty-five liters. Fifty-five. Yeah. And so I just do a like a standing start from that towing so I, th I think winging i might start doing that some too we'll see i mean i think you're you're a super athletic guy right and tons of water time so what works for you is like might not work for the guy that's out every two weeks and like just learning it doesn't come from that background right yeah i i mean winging is i i can't say that i'm good at winging <laughs> that's not my sport but i do i did it's fun i do like it until I yeah, see a video of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm the same with surfing. Sometimes I see some video of me surfing and it's like, oh, really? Like, that's what I look like. <laughs> it's not how I look in my mind. <laughs> it's so humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I like photos better. It's like, okay, I was standing up straight there. <laughs> photos lie. <laughs> they, they do, yeah. Photos lie. Um, Another theme that I was interested to hit on with you is like that flow state thing. It's something yeah. I've like spent a lot of time thinking about in, in my life. And I think, I don't know if it's something that's been said on your podcast, but I almost think it's like the like calling like our foil club. It's like, we could just be like, these are people that should meditate and can't like, like and that's like, <laughs> that identifies me. And instead we do this like, hyper complicated thing where it relies on all these different we need wind a storm on the, on the other side of the world to hit this place and then and then we can have a moment of peace <laughs> <laughs> i like that although it hits me completely different because i do meditate not as much as i used to but i, I used to do it a lot and it is different it's more like playing music meditation for me which i do a lot of there's something though about you know like experiencing like a direct connection to the world which i think that those flow states give me anyways do you, do you feel that way yeah totally and i think like especially i think it's especially meaningful with water like we're we've come from the water we're made of water eventually we'll we'll go back to the water like we'll, we'll go back to the ocean and like feeling connected to that energy yeah, I think it's it's like a deep a deep thing that resonates with me greatly, and I think like similar to what I've tried to when I have experimented with meditation, it's like you're trying to at least what has been coached to me is you're trying to kind of disassociate with the idea that you're a mo like you're a you're an individual that's kind of existing. It's more like internalizing that everything you perceive is and all that conscious experience is you. And I think that's what foiling does for me is like, you're out there and your, your awareness expands. And that's a big inspiration for, for what we're doing with foils is trying to create equipment that is like a perfectly 
Like it doesn't have noise in it. You're perfectly able to tune in and connect mm. with that energy. It's like, it's like in radio world, like you're not attenuating that signal. It's like mm -hmm. a perfect signal. You're, you're transmitting your intention to that, through that board, through that foil into the water. And then that signal, you're, you're feeling what's going on, how that water is moving. And that's coming back to you. And that, that interplay is perfect and balanced. Like that's what we're, we're ultimately trying to achieve. And that's where I agree there's like, there's still more, there's still more problems to solve to make that perfect. But I'd like to think that what we achieve with our gear is trying to get closer to that. So somebody that doesn't have necessarily that, that super high skill that can just make equipment work. They've instantly, they can still feel that connection and through the efficiency, stay on foil and use less energy to make those connections. And I think you guys have done a similar thing. It sounds like you've You've done a similar thing because I, I haven't tried the progression wings unfortunately but it sounds like it's kind of a similar ethos like you're yeah. you're trying to give somebody a tool to a perfect tool to connect with that that ultimately the tool should disappear yep. and it's just you and the that the ocean i saw this video of uh, someone told a story about senna i'm a big formula one fan right and i think this has been out there for a little while but it's such an incredible story so i'll tell it real quick for people who don't know there was some race and senna was winning the race i believe and clipped the wall and clipped the wall had a puncture spun something and he, he didn't finish the race and he came back in and he was just really upset and he was like the wall moved and there was another <laughs> driver there and the driver's like whatever the wall didn't move and he's like no the, i'm sure the wall moved the, the the wall wasn't in the same place and so after the race he was still really frustrated so they walked to the corner and the driver came with him just to prove him wrong he said and they get to the corner and apparently the lap before he clipped the wall a driver had hit that same section of wall and hit it kind of at the front and knocked the back end of it five millimeters out of place yeah and when he came around the corner, he clipped it because his margin on that corner was less than five millimeters coming out of that corner. Talk about being dialed in. Like I've been yeah, thinking about that yeah. for like the last two days. Well, yeah, and I think like to go to book back, that's somebody who's like their consciousness has expanded beyond what they are. They kind of envelop that whole course into their, their model of reality. And they're like, they're living that like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I think it's it's amazing what the brain and body is able to achieve. Absolutely. It's like when you can feel something's wrong with your foil and then you turn it over and there's like a little piece of weed stuck on it or something like that. You're like, ah, I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's I, I totally agree. You can and it's, it's interesting, like I think too, like you make we make these things like and like what I'm looking forward to, I I know we we both got we both got children and, and actually you're, you're the way you interact with your kids, like the, the sound of it, it's, it's really inspiring. Cause I hope to have that same relationship with my daughter. She's, she's not even two yet, but it's interesting to me to think like this, this, the way we tune these foils and design this whole system, this is something that's going to persist into time. So I'm excited for her to be 20 and try this foil and be like, Hey, this uh, is what we worked so hard to make. Like, this is the feel like, and you can, you can feel it. You can get that feeling. And it's like, uh, it's kind of like a, it's like you can, you can tell a story and use words, but the feeling of something like this that you've worked so hard on, it transcends words, right? It's like, 
this is what I want you to feel. This is what we're trying to provide this sensation, right? I love that. I, I absolutely love that. That's my favorite thing about design and specifically design like in these areas where you're helping people, you're creating something that allows someone to have like a beautiful experience through some sort of shared, like something shared there between, between the two of you, the designer and the rider. And I love, I love riding other people's stuff too, for that exact same reason, because you can feel what they wanted to get out of that, that piece of equipment. I think that's so awesome. Where did Omen come from? Where did the name Omen come from? <clears throat> well, originally the name was Swift and we were really jazzed on that name. We thought Swift foiling was super cool. And then after a couple of weeks, we found out there was a Swift foiling head of the UK. They're making boards. <laughs> so we just, we were just throwing around a bunch of names and there was, there was some themes we wanted to hit. Like, the theme of adaptation. Like one thing that is very inspiring to me is, is watching birds fly. Like birds are just the ultimate foilers. Like if you, and specifically our logo is a, oh no, a Swift. So watching these, these Swifts fly, they're just, they're amazing. Like they, they go so fast. They turn so sharp. They have just like this perfect control. Like talk about that F1 driver, like missing the corner by five millimeters. These guys are like, hitting bugs with their mouth midair and the bugs moving they're flying they're just incredible things and it's just through adaptation and learning and change and so that kind of theme of evolution was and change and adaptation was something we really wanted to evoke and we were looking at evolve foils and anyway omen was just like another word for for change like something could be a good omen or a bad omen but it's changing. And mm -hmm. so we kind of just, we liked that word. We liked how it was simple and it kind of, you know, we didn't intend to actually have like a darker <clears throat> aesthetic of the brand, which has actually worked out because being on this like foggy coastal rainforest where a lot of our photography is coming from, it, it fits that. But yeah, we just kind of liked it, just kind of connected with us. And it, we felt like it with, along with the Swift, it represents what, what we're trying to do with foiling is, is make those kind of like natural evolutionary steps through through testing and development i like it i like it it's catchy it's like it's easy to remember cool yeah i'm glad to hear it yeah there, there's it was it was we spent way too much time considering it <laughs> names are hard man <laughs> they are hard yeah they are hard um it was funny when i named portal this goes back like 20 15 2016 something because it was it started off as a like sub surf brand and sur surfboards mostly and then transitioned to foil boards like four years ago my sister's really creative and i was telling her like what i wanted like the brand i was like just like this this it's just, these boards are going to take you to this like other place this other dimension and like i had been <clears throat> wrestling with it for like a month and my sister's like oh yeah you mean like a portal right and i was like oh how easy is that <laughs> yeah i like that yeah actually Portal's a good I, name too i love portal man like I, it's funny because brian and i had that just insane downwinder it was like probably the heaviest conditions that we have downwinded in it was like 30 plus and big swell like like not normal florida type stuff and and really like a couple swells out there so a really mixed up ocean at the same time but with just tons of energy and 
Brian was up. It like took us a little while to get going because by the time he got through the waves, it took him like 15 minutes to get through the waves. And I just blasted through because I went on the, the foil drive, which was hilarious. And then <laughs> finally we get going and we had like a, it was a nine mile run, but we had like a seven mile like leg where neither of us came off. And it was probably like the most out of body either of us had experienced like ever in the water to the point where we didn't know where we were. We didn't know if we had gone one mile or 15 miles, if we missed our end point. Like we, yeah, were, awesome. we both came off boil and we're like, dude, where, where are, was that one minute or, or 30 minutes? And it was like 35 minutes on foil. And, and, but it was, it, it was really, it was really crazy how, how like time it's interesting about Brian. I'll probably talk about it at some point. Cause he was like, dude, just time just disappeared. Like I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah you're, you're truly truly living in those moments aren't you yeah it was crazy that's just a, it's a peak experience and those are like i have i have a handful of those that have happened in life where yeah you just you separate from your body you separate from time and you're just existing in that moment which is like both short and long at the same time I, it's it's an incredible thing it's like i feel very fortunate for every time i've had that opportunity yeah, I wish everyone could experience that more frequently. Yeah, it is a it is a luxury, isn't it? In some ways, I think it's a luxury. In some ways, I think that you have to kind of search it out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what I think most people think luxuries are, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I mean, it's obviously nice to live in a good house and to be able to all the things that we, as people who live in, North America probably take for granted more than we should, but living in Costa Rica for 11 years, some of my best friends like had very little like dirt, dirt floors and the, and the happiest folks. And they were really good about experience. It completely decoupled like happiness and money for me. They're yeah. Like, yeah. That, and I guess like, I think like luxury is not necessarily associated with with wealth it's like you could have the luxury of coming from an amazing family in costa rica and like all play music together and you know that in, a, in your dirt floor place and that is a luxury and you maybe get that same experience playing on a guitar with two broken strings right yeah our society is not even though we have a lot of like luxuries like healthcare and and various things of that nature and material possessions, lots of material possessions. Yeah. We, we also, it's not set up for that. It's not set up for make, to make it easy for people to find that, that type of connection. And I think that's one thing that's cool about, about foiling. Are you, are you, have you ever listened to Alan Watts? You know who that guy is? Yeah. Not in a while. I know who he is for sure. He talks, it's like he kind of changed my mind on it, like really influenced my thinking. He talks about materialism and he says like, the West is not a materialistic culture. Like we, we hate material. Like we have, we like consuming. So you have all these, like a big house that's all made very low quality, all these, all these low quality possessions where he says like a materialist, like your friend in Costa Rica who might like have woven a basket or something like, but it's like, they love material. Like they are using the best possible reads they can find and doing something like with their hands and, and I think like, that's kind of like, it was also an inspiration for Omen. It's like, it's very, it's a material focused company, but we're, 
yeah, we're trying to create like not a consumer product that something somebody's going to buy and move on to the next thing, but like something that will last and, and like allow somebody to be a materialist and connect with, yep. with existence and with life in a very pure way rather than, cause you could buy for the price of an omen, you could buy five other foils, like at something that's mass produced and works pretty well and can get you out of the water. Um, and for some people that's the right, the right decision. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he has some cool, some cool talks on materialism and how like we've through consumerism we've like stripped away the materiality and the luxuries that come with like focusing on on things that are closer at hand yeah you know with surfboards and and i'm getting there with foils as well now that the pace of evolution has stopped it was a goal when decided to to design a foil was i have always there's certain surfboards that I have that I would never sell because of the moments that I've had on them. I have a Howard special Takayama that I've gotten barreled in lots of places on and just had so many good memories on that. I a few others. And I think that the, the pace of evolution in foiling was too fast to really allow something to kind of be like a forever quiver type foil. hundred percent. And I like my hope was with like the the progression stuff. I mean, maybe we're there now. I mean, I'm sure it's everyone's hope all the time. Like, I don't think I'm unique in this regard, but that like I still have a lost rocket in my quiver and I'll always have one because I just love the way that that board feels. And it doesn't matter what evolution's happening in surfboard design right now. There's just something special about the way that board feels. And I'll have one. I'll always have a Howard special. Because there's certain things on certain days that I really love about that foil. Now, I don't surf that much anymore, but I'm still going to have those boards in my quiver. And I'm wondering if we're to that point in foiling yet where there's going to be a feel on an Omen 1050 or Progression 170 where someone's like, you know what? I'm always going to have that foil in the quiver because there's the day that I'm going to see it and it's going to be like, I want to go ride that and get that feeling out of it. I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if it's still evolving fast like too too quickly to where you want to do that yeah i I think with it's hard to say i I agree i don't i don't i think we're getting closer to being there but i would agree with you that we're not we're not quite there like with our new with our new foil we've got i think 18 different profiles along the span like each point we've come up with a program that is computationally figured out at each section how we want to optimize flow there and so it's a it's a we've gone really like a whole nother level of analysis, like the same problem set, but mm-hmm. ultimately just like a, a different way of cracking that nut. So depending on how this comes out, cause I haven't, we haven't tried the prototypes yet. So <laughs> we might go right back to drawing board, <laughs> but, but yeah, like I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes, but I don't, I don't know where we would go after that. And I guess it's always good to have that you as a design, like as a you know, company building something, I, I like to think that every time we do something, this is going to be the last time. Like this is it. This is peak foiling, and like like I think UFC UFC fighters like you want to go into a fight knowing you're going to win, even if of course like statistically you know that even if no matter how hard you train, there's at most a sixty percent chance that that's going to happen. Right? You got to have that that confidence. Be like, this is it. Right? This is the ultimate that we're making, and we've we've put everything on the table. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's at least another iteration in foiling to get there. Yeah, I'm really excited about some of the new downwind tech with like the 
reflex like the the super camber reflex stuff and it's going to be interesting to see kind of where that can go that seems to be one of those big shifts if there's yeah, other so applications you, saying you get your you're playing with eh? it's like the higher aspect reflex stuff for for downwind no not so much but i mean armstrong just released one i think that's probably what i mean that's what kt and and kane kind of showcased it what was it in hood river mm-hmm it just seems like there's some advantages in efficiency with that. And I guess the question is, will that be able to be applied to the mid aspect? Can you get some of the same benefits out of a smaller foil? And yeah, that, that that's the next, I think, thing that we'll see over the ne- next year or two. I think it started in downwind, but maybe there's other applications. I was reading a science fiction book recently where they, they had a, it was actually like a glider, but they had some like, titanium exoskeleton and then there was nanobots that were performing like acting as like the let's call it like the amorphous kind of like uh non-structural component of it that formed the skin so these things would like naturally realign and change the shape of a wing of the wing based on the speed so say you've got this this exoskeleton of a mast and front wing and tail wing and then these nanobots depending on your speed it would change to like a highly cambered wing at low speed. And mm-hmm. then your camber would be tapering off as you're going faster and your tail wing would go from providing positive lift to negative lift. And your, your fuselage could, I mean, your fuselage probably wouldn't get longer, but you know, your mass profile could be changing depending on how much pressure is. You could make the mass like go better upwind or go better in a straight line. Like all these things could be happening at the speed of, of like instantly reacting that's a little ways away <laughs> yeah so maybe that's peak foil <laughs> hopefully omen is around in 50 years to start playing with nanobots <laughs> that's so cool we won't be the first industry to to, <laughs> to cap probably not <laughs> <laughs> i'm hoping that i'm going to get that tech first since i just keep referencing ufo stuff everywhere and someone will reach out from an ufo insider who also foils and be like hey you gotta hop on this we got to get the crazies foiling. That's the thing. Got to get more <laughs> of these people into it, <laughs> which is easy because it's crazy good, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really, really high level folks who do foil already. It's cool. Yeah. Zuckerberg, right? I've seen yep. Mark Zuckerberg's been on foil. I actually messaged him on Instagram. I was like, hey, do you want an operator foil? But I think that was like his, he transitioned to jujitsu, right? Yeah. Um, missed Missed opportunity. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, this has been awesome, Greg. What what do you want to leave folks with? Oh, I don't know, man. I like I've enjoyed the conversation very much, and yeah, I don't think I don't think anything specific. It's it's just cool to to be part of this community, and yeah, it's it's been exciting. I've I've been super happy with with how people have received us. Everybody's been like super encouraging, and it's it's I'm I also have like deep respect for our first couple customers because we just launched this product, and you know those original kind of like 10, 20 guys that, that bought our boards and took that risk that like, okay, this, this looks cool. These guys seem to know what they're talking about. That's, that made all the difference. Cause if those initial guys didn't buy it, I wouldn't be here. I'd be, I'd be back working for, for somebody else. So, so that's been, that's been awesome that people are like open-minded and, and willing to try to try new things. And so it's, it's an exciting time to be in the sport and I'm super grateful for that. And as well as like the partners, like both the people in Omen, as well as like, guys like ice and we didn't talk about boards much but but apple tree they're kind of like i kind of see them as the ice of boards like we wanted to do a board but 
they've achieved in my mind, like peak board construction. So it's like, why would we, why would we try to reinvent the wheel and take all these iterations like when they're, they're willing to take on partners. So super appreciative of what, of what they do and all the work they put into their like vacuum fusion and, and building stuff in Portugal, which we're, which we're really aligned with doing that. So, so yeah, just a, a thanks to, to those folks and, and the community at all. Well, if you guys out there, thanks get to a you, man, because you, you are a big part of this community and the surf side. So, so guys like guys like yourself and yourself specifically, it's like, it's awesome to have a platform like this and be able to chat with people and, and expose, expose our brand. And, and yeah, so, so yeah, I'm just, just grateful for, for all of it, man. Well, I'm a huge fan of you guys and anyone pushing the sport forward in a positive way, which I think everyone seems to be doing currently. And if you guys out there get a chance to hop on one, do it. It's definitely worth it. They're they're uh, a super solid, good feel, fun, fast, good stability, easy to ride, really fun foil. So good work on that. I know it's not easy. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.